Check, check. Is this thing on? <clears throat> Let's try this again. As some of you might have noticed, I have been a little bit absent in the audio podcast realm. Although I have been heavy in production and getting into live streaming, doing that goofy YouTube stuff, uh, working on the audio sigil that We The Hallowed is uh, going to be putting out in a couple of months, and uh, working on a new album. So I've taken this quarantine to kind of mean uh, work a little bit more on myself, my uh, habits, and a little less on the audio versions of these things. And that I apologize for. However, those of you that have been paying attention to the YouTube channel or uh, you know Twitter have noticed that this episode has already been released via YouTube. Sir Bron the Blessed is a dear friend of mine, a queer witch paragon, a wonderful, absolutely wonderful uh, resource and incredible mage themselves. And I wanted to clean up the audio a bit before releasing this because this was one of my first instances of live streaming an actual audio podcast. So there's a bit of an echo on Bron's voice and I've tried my techno wizardry to its fullest tilt and have only cleaned it up just a bit. But I think it's audible, I think it's listenable, and I think I'm just an anal retentive asshole when it comes to these things. You might notice that the audio channel for these for this podcast, wherever you listen to this, might be bombarded with a few episodes this weekend. As I'm catching up and uh, trying to get back into the narrative of doing both the video, the audio, and the website, wethehallow.org or pragmagic.com. It is also kismet that I'm releasing the audio version of this live stream episode a couple weeks later because Sir Braun is still having wonderful deals for tarot reading. If you'd like Sir Braun to divine, to soothsee, to soothsay uh, things about your life through the wonderful arcana that is tarot, you can do it for as little as 20 bucks through June. And that is all serviceable through the Instagram account of Sir Bron the Blessed. Links in the show notes. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to reintroduce you audio listeners to one of my best friends and the lovely mage and queen bee, Sir Bron the Blessed. Haunt on. When we are doing the will of our true self, we are inevitably doing the will of the universe. In magic, these are seen as indistinguishable. That every human soul is in fact one human soul. It is the soul of the universe itself. And as long as you are doing the will of the universe, then it is impossible to do anything wrong. Shalom. Greetings, everyone. I am Keats Ross. This is the Prag Magic Podcast, now a video cast. I'm here with my dear friend, Sir Bron the Blessed. How are you? 
Hey, Keatsy, how you doing? Great. Thank you so much for, you know, doing this. I know we've, since the uh, generation of this podcast, I've tried to get you on numerous times, and it just, you know, for whatever reason, just never added up, so. Well, you know, my busy, busy uh, plane hopping schedule has made it difficult. Um, <laughs> I know. You're no, not really. Setter. I wish. Um, you know, I need to date a flight attendant is what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. So, you know, one of the main things I, I reached out to you, you, I always reach out to you. You've been somewhat of a teacher and a mentor for me, especially mm-hmm. in areas of which, you know, I'm just not versed. Um, a lot of, you know, queer magic, ancestral magic, um, and you've just been an invaluable resource for me. I thought, you know, maybe to get started, we could talk a little bit about your background. Okay. Uh, well, where do you want to start? I mean, I... Let's, let's go with the go ancestral ahead. stuff, because I know you're like multi-generational through different practices. It's true. Um, you know, I grew up practicing magic. I've been uh always been magical and it's definitely hardcore in my family uh i you know am creole and um also mexican and irish so i grew up in practicing curanderismo voodoo um hoodoo and uh you know even irish cunning craft and i even um you know, just like any teenager, read plenty of Wicca books, um, read, just read anything I could get my hands on, too, and then had lots of hands-on training uh, with my family itself. So that that was really, really helpful. Um, and I learned a lot uh, just from observing and seeing. Uh, I think some of the best ways um, you can learn, books are great. But in order to not be an armchair magician, as the saying goes, I think the most important thing is to realize that magic is an active um, participation ritual. And so oftentimes the best way to learn, in my opinion, is to get out there and learn from someone else. IRL. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can we talk a little bit about your earlier earliest experiences within the you know, the different currents that you had as a kid? I mean, it's so, I always thought it was a huge pain in the ass um, when I was younger, because I was like, I want to go play. Um, And I'm being taught herbs and I'm being taught tarot. Um, I I remember my grandpa teaching me um, tarot and checkers at the same time. Like, um, I remember that he was teaching me checkers and I, I thought I was really good at checkers, by the way, for years, I thought I was really good because he would just always let me win kind of. And I really believed I was winning, (laughs) which actually I found out later is something you're supposed to do with children a lot because it actually builds their confidence. Um, but, um, (laughs) you know, occasionally he'd whoop me, but I was like, you know, he'd be like, how did you, I didn't see that coming. But um, in addition, he'd like teach me tarot, like, you know, it'd be like a game. And then, um, you know, it'd be like, okay, now these three cards, like, so um, I found it a huge pain in my ass, mostly. But um, it was something that just was part of my life. And so intrinsic to what I did as a kid, you know. Right. But it seems also too, I'm sure like an insular thing, because you obviously 
I mean, not obviously, I don't know, but you didn't have a lot of people your age kind of experimenting with the same, right? No, but I was used to being a rather unusual child. Um, I mean, I was prettier than all the other children, so there's that. But um, so I obviously couldn't just play with them. No, um, it wasn't so much that. It was I was black in a place and Mexican in a place that um, there were no other children like me. I was not only the only brown person. Um, or brown child where I was at. I was the only brown person where I was at, literally. And so, um, you know, I spent a ton of time at my grandparents and I just, I don't think I felt I needed the other children. Also, here's the other thing. I have like, I think it's something like 39 first cousins or 37. So I was not alone, <laughs> not by a long shot. Like, and I've got a brother and a sister and, and so I was not isolated. I had friends. I just, you know, and my cousins all lived where my grandparents lived. So anytime I would go down there, I would have plenty of people to play with. Um, right. And so I didn't need other children outside of my family or outside my coven. Like, for what? Yeah. Amen. I mean, yeah, I didn't have the ancestral currents, you know, that you did, but it was always an insular practice for me to begin with you know mm -hmm. what started I, I, though like on your so where where did like say you know the barnes and noble wicca come in and you know, um, that, that, that just current, we all fall into i think at, at an early age you know we all do i mean i must have been about 11 or 12 and um i wanted to know about magic that was different than my family's and i found out it's not that different but it totally is. Um, uh, it, it's, and I was like, oh, so much of this is familiar. And I realized, oh, part of the reason it's familiar is because, um, well, you know, it, Wicca is, I don't want to say watered down, but um, extracted from Hermeticism. And there was an aspect of Hermeticism I was learning with family. So it was not, it was not, foreign but it was to me like um a lot of the tenant the threefold law i had never really like we work by the law of balances yeah. well no i didn't know what it was oh, i learned okay. it from a book and i remember asking about it and um, my grandmother calling it um white people nonsense um my black grandmother calling it white people nonsense so um and I was, I didn't understand then what she meant by that. I understand a little bit more now, obviously, but, um, you know, I, at that time I was like, I don't, okay. You know, as kids do, I just kind of like wandered off like, yeah. and did my thing. Like, I was like, okay. <laughs> did the communal aspect come in? When did you start practicing with other people, learning from other people? Since I was like, I mean, my grandparents I mean, were the family. Oh, geez. Probably not till Haxon, you know what I mean? Which is our old coven. Um, and that was really um, my first attempt at kind of bringing people together, I think. I mean, I lived in New York for the past, um, what was it, 10 years, eight years, nine years, something like that. And um, I'm not good with numbers. And uh, 
<laughs> and basically, um, I was tired of being a solitary. I was really, really tired of it. I wanted to grow in my craft. Um, New York is magical in a lot of ways, but I don't think it's magical, um, as magical as say Portland or Sedona or New Orleans or Savannah, you know, or South of France or South of England or Ireland. It's not magical like those places. Um, I think once it might have been, um, but I couldn't find it there. And I, I had a hard time locating the Botanicas and I had a hard time locating a lot of the things I needed. Um, and also I was performing in musicals. I was modeling full time. I was styling um, as a freelance stylist. And I was, um, I think I said modeling already, but I was just like doing all these different jobs mm -hmm. um, to the point where, you know, to be honest, I had no spare time to really devote to my practice, except for um, on a personal level, because I had to be, you know, in order to do group stuff, uh, it's a group circle or et cetera, you really have to plan and yeah. you really have to have, and you really have to carve out that time. And at that time, I was very focused on my studies um, as a performer and really getting out there as a performer, really doing the entertainment industry. And I did it hard. I was so devoted. Um, and I think that that was really great. But um, it was the time period I was in at that time. And, you know, when I came home here to Portland, Oregon, I really had to reassess what was important to me. And, um, you know, I started reading cards uh, and I monetized reading cards, um, you know, doing what my grandparents did. And, and it's just like, I started really being a business person in that way. And that was the best thing that had ever happened to me because when I came back here, I had started waiting tables and, and learning to bartend and stuff like that. I had never had a non-performing, non-modeling job. I had never had it. And so when I met you, it was around that time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was around that time that we met. And then, you know, from there I, I did start reading cards and um, that has been, the best thing for me, um, so healing for me to go back to those fundamentals. And of course, after, um, you know, Haxton disbanded, um, I founded a house called Zephyr House. Right. And Zephyr House has built on the bones of Haxton. And, and I think what we were trying to do, but we didn't really have the language to do right you know it's funny it's like almost what i was attempting with more in the artistic sphere with those early we the hollowed salons that you know yeah. you come to but yeah with more of the education of say what zephyr house or Haxon used to do and it's yeah. amazing to see the generation of zephyr house from those initial gatherings those initial initial rituals to what it is now yeah we started out with six people mm -hmm. um i think six like six to 10 people. And now um, we have something, I want to say we have like a hundred from like 120 people. Um, so that we've become a small church. We're working on our church um, status right now. Right now we are a nonprofit organization and we cover a lot of ground. I mean, we have a seasonal ritual. So one for fall, one for winter, 
uh, one for spring, one for summer. Um, and then we um, have a monthly study group. So called the occult study group, which is something that we definitely did in Haxon. That was most of our focus was studying in Haxon. And then we also have the magical mixer, which is once a month. And it's just um, casters. You'll hear me use the term casters because um, not everyone considers themselves a witch. Some people are sorcerers. Some people are conjurers. Some people are, etc. Casters is just a good blanket term. Um, but um, basically, you know, it's just for casters and magical community to get together on those magical mixers and just eat and drink and be in each other's company. Uh, and then, of course, we have an entire series of classes that um, we teach. If we do not have someone who is qualified to teach something, I find someone who's a specialist and I bring them in, whether it is a Santero priest, whether it is a Buddhist monk, whether it is a mambo from voodoo, whether it is is a you know uh, a work hunter from cutting craft of ireland like we bring in all kinds of instructors and it's really really cool um yeah i've always to just kind of that grow like that incredibly inclusive considering all the different currents that people bring it's one of yeah. the few things that i thought you know was so important with we the hallowed and haxon and zephyr house was the you know, the ability to bring in people of way different kind of backgrounds and spiritual mm -hmm. practice and magical practice, and then, you know, throw them in a mixer and people you yeah. know, learning. Have you found a common thoroughfare, like a thread between everyone? Is it just like a people a are human business, you know, people are human and they want to yeah. connect to others and they want to love and be loved and they want friendship and they want guidance. Um, the way we're set up in Zephyr House is I am queen of Zephyr House, um, meaning I call the shots. Um, I am the face of the company, if you will. Um, and then my lovely and wonderful um, eldership is made up of two others. Um, one is a person of color um, named Terrence, um, who is an amazing reader and very knowledgeable um and very sarcastic and uh <laughs> he is elder of ceremonies and he's got this amazing background it's in um a different kinds of magic from ceremonial to um his specialty which is mediterranean uh right. craft but um he is an amazing priest i am a very good magic worker um but my priestly duties and my mystic duties are something i'm really working on so i watch terrence a ton i learn a ton from watching him work and then my other um elder um and my kind of uh right hand is rose and rose is an amazing ceremonial magician and also is a buddhist i believe nepalese buddhism is what he also practices i believe um and um he is the elder of internal so we have the elder ceremony ceremonials we have the royal elder which is me and then we have um elder of internals and rose basically handles the back end of stuff um rose handles the stuff that i'm like i can't um <laughs> yeah. well and also too the background of of rose is you, you know they're uh like an uh an ast astrological mage yeah yeah so they're an cool astrological yeah. yeah everyone's got a uh like a tent pole to them about what, 
you know, their practice and experience with and their magical understandings, which they is like, do. you really see, I, I compared it to you once as like Power Rangers. It kind of is a little, <laughs> do I get to be Kimberly? I, yeah. I want the, I, I want the one that flies. We were talking um, about that because there was a time when I, I was considering, you know, before I left Portland to be involved with it and kind of come from a chaos magic background and, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And you explained it to me once as like chaos magic power ranger, you know, and each one. Is, <laughs> is like, the only problem is like, I just don't, I love discussing it. And I love the thing I keep kind of keep honest with this is I'm a perennial student. You know, mm-hmm. I love, I love to share and I love to, to work with other people and learn, but it's hard for me to kind of, uh, how do I say this to decide that I'm of the ilk to be teaching? I think I understand. Well, I mean, that's kind of do people have different commitment levels. And that's what I like about the way we're doing Zephyr House is um, number one, there is no commitment um, for people who are coming in and out like it, we're an open circle. Um, I will use the term coven, but really we're a circle of solitaries. And what that means is we all have our own practice and we're learning from each other, but we're not necessarily doing each other's practice. It's more so that we are knowledgeable, respectful um, people who know about other people and give a damn about other people. And, um, and also, may I just say, there's some practices that we don't allow, um, white people to learn. Um, like there are certain things that I teach anytime I teach hoodoo, I teach hoodoo only to people of color, specifically aimed at black and indigenous people because it's our magic. Um, and so, but the cool thing that I was getting to is we have a su- what's called the support council. There's just a couple members who are deeply involved, who are pretty deeply involved, but don't want the level of elder. And because elders a, a lot more commitment and um, Rose and Terrence have been with me since the very beginning and um, they have just been, you know, steady Eddie the whole time. But um, with the support council, we have someone who runs. Oh, because we also have the Zephyr House Library where you can, you know, uh, take out one occult book at a time because occult books are expensive and they're hard to find. And especially with a lot of the brown traditions. Uh, people don't know where to look and I do. So I make sure to stock. Yes, there's plenty of books on runes. There's plenty of books on Irish traditions. Um, I've, I've been really seeking out Hawaiian um, rituals and magic um, because that's harder to find. Um, I found a lot of stuff on Olympias for curanderismo, um, some stuff on brujeria. We've got, you know what I mean? Like, so I, it was, it's been really great because essentially you've got three elders who are experienced magicians of different backgrounds who are going to pick out different books and you put that collection together and you're going to find quite the education. So, but we have a support council where someone just focuses on the library or someone who just helps with parties or all kinds of stuff. Yeah, totally. We, I mean, in the initial stages of we, the hallowed, we had that too. It's titles, but what I love about, Zephyr House is the kind of, um, I put this, just the confidence of, you know what, I'm the queen, I'm calling the shots, 
you know, because otherwise <laughs> it can be a mess, you know, it's a it's total true. mess to power to everybody. So. It's true. You know, yeah. I, I so admire groups like Sacred Lattice, um, yes, who, yeah. Sacred Lattice is an amazing organization. I think it helps a lot of people of color. Um, I think it helps a lot of people of color heal from colonialism. It certainly helped me um, when I was healing. Um but and also i would i would describe them as a circle they would describe themselves as a school there are a bunch of other circles and schools in um portland blue iris mystery school um there is um azoth the azoth uh, coven cascadia freeholds which is the nordic uh kids uh and there's a bunch others there's a bunch of others but um sounds like a post-apocalyptic movie of different gangs of mystics you know, it, it kind of does <laughs> I, or like west side da, 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 da. Yeah, exactly. um, uh-uh. um but basically you know sacred lattice is great i have no idea how they get things done they do but they have this like steering committee um and they do everything by committee they also have a different pace than Zephyr House. Um, they do things as it feels natural to them. And I think that's really important. And I really admire that about them. Mm -hmm. But Zephyr House, we keep a New York pace. Right. You know what I mean? We have a very, we're about practical magic, getting it into the community, pushing forward. So I, I love, what I love about Portland and the magical community here is I love that we can have a group like um, Sacred Lattice that does their healing work at their own pace and doesn't um, submit to the pace of colonialism. And then there's also a group like Zephyr House, which is very, very aggressive about like, okay, we want to get these things done this year. And, and I'm a member of Sacred Lattice and I'm a member of um, Zephyr House. And you can do both, which is really, really cool. Yeah, and I had Cecily on, you know, on the podcast back when we were doing the live podcast, and I, I yeah. cherish that conversation. It's one of my favorite interviews. She's so knowledgeable. Yeah, she's, she's so knowledgeable. knowledgeable. Uh, I wanted to, you know, there's a, a lecture you did back in the early days of Zephyr House about ancestral magic. Yeah. Well, I did it specifically on Hoodoo, yeah. On Hoodoo, mm -hmm. yeah. But one of my favorite questions was, um, there was a person there of, you know, of Caucasian descent that asks, like, what if we can't do ancestral magic because we don't agree with our ancestors? And that, um, that always, like, that hit me kind of hard during that. Well, let me be clear about something. I still have very mixed feelings about white people practicing hoodoo. Sure. Um let me just say it off that, and I've really thought about it, and I'm not saying that it's always wrong. I, I can't make that assessment. Um, what I can say is this. The power source, there are four power sources in magic. We've talked about this. There's the earth. There's you yourself, right? Because you yourself are connected to everything around you. You're a finite battery, but you're a battery. And then there's the, there's, um, the earth and everything in terms of like, you know, all that, anything natural. And then basically there is divine energy, uh, which is the ancestors or God or gods or etc. You're pulling from a divine or infernal source because there's plenty of, you know, people who use um, that as well. Celestial magic, if you will. 
And then you have blood magic, which is something that you should not be doing unless you're initiated as a priest of certain traditions. Um, because um, otherwise it's like dirty money, you know? <laughs> like, um, but where was I going with that? Sorry, Aquarius. Hold on, I'll come back. Oh, yes. So what I was saying is um, I have mixed feelings about white people practicing magic. So because our power source in, or not magic, but ancestral magic in terms of hoodoo, um, because with hoodoo, your power source is the ancestors. So these people for the past, what, 400 years, um, or maybe not for 400 years, but 270 or something like that years, maybe even 300. I don't even know exactly um, off the top of my head. I'm bad at math. But these people worked from dawn to dusk for white people their entire lives. Mm -hmm. And then were persecuted by them every day, all day for their entire lives. And served them and served them food and did their hair and sewed their clothes and washed their floors. And then when they died, they went into the, the ancestral well, right? Which is a spell that was done at the start of colonialism, right? To, so that they would stick around. And there was something probably even predating that. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure there was. Um, but... So you expect, as a white person, if say I was a white person coming to Hoodoo, I would be uncomfortable with the idea that, okay, so these people served my ancestors from dawn to motherfucking dusk. And now that it's their afterlife, I want them to serve me. I think that's such... It's so disrespectful and privileged. It actually, like, it makes me, like, angry. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about this because when I started working with Santa Muerte, I came to you because, you know, she was, she spoke to me throughout my life. She was, you know, I grew up in the barrios of sure. the Southwest and sure. I'm not of Hispanic descent. Um, but, uh, you know, there was something that sung to me and I came to you about this kind of conundrum because you want to give reverence. And sure. you want to give you know sure. to and the things to, that sing to you, but you also don't want to overstep your bounds in a way. It's it's so you know it's so individual. What I was speaking right. of was specifically in reference to hoodoo. Um, I feel I feel differently about voodoo and santeria. I feel like with voodoo and santeria, the loa or the orisha call who they call, mm -hmm. and. A lot of times that is white folks. A lot of times that is Hispanic folks. And a lot of times Catholic, that is black yeah, imagery and saints. And, sure, yeah. that's a safety thing. That's a that's right. a leftover I from remember, that yeah. synchronicity. But um, it's different with hoodoo. Like with hoodoo, make no mistake, it's a form of I wouldn't say sorcery because it's different than sorcery. But um, there's no one guarding the gate, um, which is cool. I love that. However, and also with Voodoo and Santeria, the Orisha or the Loa guard the gates. <laughs> and so I don't I don't get involved in none of that affair. And um, I'm not one to second guess or question them. And um, on that and cool, I don't really need to, you know what I mean? And not that I want to gatekeep even with Hoodoo, but as I said, I just have really strong mixed feelings about someone practicing that way as for Santissima Muerta 
she's the one who decides who she and she's got quite the reputation so she doesn't want you she won't have you and so i just you know it's a little different been outspoken about it you know i've you know touched yeah but you know it's something uh you know through all of my magical practice like reverence is one of the main things you know yeah yeah well i i think there's two key components cultural and religious literacy Mm-hmm. And the second component is reverence. And we talk about it in Zephyr House because there are white people who feel drawn to this or that or the other. Um, it's it's not so much about race. It's about power dynamics and understanding power dynamics. So with Santissima Huerta, she can guard her own motherfucking gate. <laughs> so she don't need me. So if she's calling to you... Um, for me, as far as I know, it's like, okay, cool. And just make sure that you are culturally and religiously literate, mm-hmm. that you are doing it. Here's the other thing. It's my personal view on it. Um, that if you're white and you're practicing voodoo, right? Do it the way you are taught by brown people. Don't try to innovate in the religion. It's not your place. Do you think that, you know, when it comes, when it crosses the line is when practitioners monetize it? You know, I think that is so case by case basis. Um, I love, oh, hi, Lil. Lily decided to say hi. You can see her. She's, she's, you know, she's, she's comfy. She decided to just come out for my sleep. soldier (laughs) right oh okay sorry um didn't mean to wake you up um jesus she just gave me this look like Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um what was i saying oh Oh, just uh yeah monetization i have nothing against monetizing magic at all um matter of fact well let me let me be clear Hmm. (laughs) okay Brown people have always had to monetize their magic in order to survive. Period. End of story. This idea of, oh, it's wrong to monetize magic is a Wicca thing. It comes from some white supremacy shit where you have ancestral wealth right. and or I, I mean monetize like when, when it's not of your culture. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean you know there's a lot of authors out there writing on things that aren't theirs which i wouldn't have such a problem with if you could also find black authors um but as far as i know there's stephanie rose bird there's the woman who wrote jambalaya um which i'm blanking on her name there's um tanya oh gosh and i've come across like three books on hoodoo that have a brown author yeah. Um, uh, you know, everyone else it, it is paler. Um, uh, that does not mean, again, it's not that I think that white people should never practice hoodoo. It's not that. They may deeply feel called to it. They may, the ancestors may call them forward um, into it. I, I don't know why I'm particularly so much more like, Um, I guess because the power is so strong and I don't always, I don't always trust white people to do the right thing. 
And um, it's been seen over and over again. You know, there is a very big company that monetizes hoodoo oils and hoodoo books and produces them. And again, I wouldn't have such a problem with it if the white people in question um, understood that brown people and brown people magic is all about community. And so they're not doing it in brown places. They're not doing it in Compton. They're not right. doing it in Brooklyn. And granted, I live in Portland, Oregon, because that's where I'm from. Right. But I live in North Portland, and I make sure to teach hoodoo to brown people. Um, I don't feel like that's what they're doing. I feel like they're doing it for a white audience, for the white gays. I feel like from what I've observed, and there could be things I'm not seeing, but I don't feel like they make it accessible financially for brown people. You have to think about the fact that the average brown household makes what one seventh of what the average white household does. Right. I cannot afford a $450 class on hoodoo. Mm -hmm. Fuck you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that is not cool. I'm sorry. It's just not. Um, it's, one thing, however, if it was like $450, however, we have this POC or low-income accessible rate, we do things like that in Zephyr House because I saw so much of that, that even like, you can see me just getting emotional about it. it, it it's just so privileged and blind. And, it, you know, I just saw the other day on Twitter, someone was tweeting about a particular book um, and they're like, I love my queer magic. And this book is written by a queer person. I don't know him. I'm sure he's great, whatever, whatever. I don't know his background. Um, but, you know, it was in addition to these other queer authors, which, again, love that there's queer authors making great books. It's not that. But Hoodoo, this book was on Hoodoo, one of the books they were tweeting about. And I'm like, um, just to be clear, that's black magic, black people magic. Not that it's not inclusive of black queer people, right? Because hoodoo is definitely very that. But what annoyed me about that was it, it just felt like everything that white people see, they think they can pick up and just make theirs. And you can't fucking have everything. Like, no, I'm just, no, I'm sorry. And I don't care if that upsets people. I'm sorry. Like, you don't get everything just because you found it and right. it, you know what I mean? Like, you don't just get to pick it up and, oh, now Hoodoo's um, queer magic. Well, yes, it's queer inclusive magic. It is queer magic and there are plenty of queer Hoodoo practitioners, thank the Lord. But at the same time, no, it is Black people magic. And it just, you know, there's an old saying in the Black community, Black people ain't shit. And unfortunately, what that means is we can't have anything. We don't get to keep anything, whether it's hip hop, whether it's rock and roll, whether it's the blues, whether it's country. We created all these things, but we don't actually ever get to keep them. Go look on the um, iTunes page and go look under um, blues. All you'll see is white artists now. I mean, that's hilarious. In, in the darkest sense. In the darkest sense. I mean, <laughs> let me, they'll, they'll still have Nina, or not Nina Simone, um, Billy Holiday on there and all those classic artists, but the new ones that they're signing, I mean, look at hip hop now. 
you've got yeah. so many white artists because white people have grown up with hip hop enough to where they can emulate it and, and be part of it. I'm not saying there aren't great white hip hop artists, but now they're not signing black hip hop artists. They're just signing or predominantly signing white hip hop artists, which is not the artist's fault. It is the record industry's fault. I wouldn't mind white people sharing in things if I could trust them to actually share. I mean, I was that white kid in the desert playing Skip James and Mississippi John Hurt, you know, and that sort of thing. But it's always been and it's the same with magic for me, I guess. I think what mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to figure out here is where when the reverence morphs, when it morphs from, you know, being sung to by it, practicing it and endowing, mm -hmm. you know, other people with your process or your journey. Yeah. Um, and when it changes into like a form of, uh, you know, expertise or something, because you, these, I have like, no problem with white people being expertise right. in it. Um, actually, academic, I, and if they are, yeah. it's they're telling them how to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's a real thin line. And it's one I'm constantly trying to find in Zephyr House, how much to include who, what. Um, part of my reticence in actually leading ritual is because I am, it's rare that I will share some brown magic with white people. You're one of the few that I've done that with. And um, also, I feel like it's different if like white people are helping me with hoodoo. It's, it's like, if I trust you, if I'm trusting you with this, what I'm trusting you with is simple. And I think I said it to you when I taught you something. I said, look, I have no problem with you using this spell on a personal level. Use it to make you safe. Um, I ask that if, you, if a brown person wants to know this, you teach it to them for free. Right. Yeah. You teach it to them for free. It is their magic. It belongs to them. I also ask that you do not go and make money off of this. That's Yeah, and that's what I was getting to is, you know, that second part, I think, really hit home for me and made me think about the kind of entire trajectory of people, you know, are, that are teaching magic. And yeah, sense, and, and the fact know, that there aren't, there aren't. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, please. No, go ahead. Oh, um, well, um there aren't brown authors writing on well there aren't many brown authors writing on this um there's also um i think lilith dorsey but i think she's a voodoo priestess um uh so um if i'm recalling off the top of my head um and again it's not it's not that i don't want people to take part in what calls to them it's just you've got to realize where your position is on the board and you have to understand power dynamics in a really complex way. And you have to go ahead and you have to ask yourself, like, how do I affect this, this power dynamic? How do I um, take part in this? Um, there's a great book I recommended to you called White Supremacy and Me um, by Layla M. I think you say it's Sayad, Saad. Beautiful name. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it, but... Um, I make all the white people in Zephyr House do the exercises. I make all of them go through it because look, it's about consciousness. White people in this country are not culturally literate. How do I know they're not culturally literate? Because I, as a brown person, um, had a ton of cultural literacy in terms of my own culture. 
um, and white culture, because I am also Irish. And, you know, my name is Braun, for Christ's sake, which means Raven in Gaelic. Um, but, you know, I had to teach myself activism and the difference between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and who James Baldwin was and what Nina Simone stood for. Like, if I had to go learn it be, and read the work of Frederick Douglass, um, if I had to go learn it because it's not taught in schools, I can guarantee you it's not being um, taught properly in white schools. And if I have a hard time navigating a lot of these topics, and if I um, am having a hard time with all these questions, I know white people are. They just aren't necessarily being as honest with themselves about it. And that's a damn shame. I mean, some are, but some aren't. So that's what I was going to say, you know, and I've moved away from the idea of what I think chaos magic has turned into. It's become, I think, almost like antithetical to what it was trying to do in the beginning, which is more of like a an anarchic magic, you know, but giving reverence yeah. to the things that, you know, you work yeah. with and you do. And it's supposed to be individualistic yeah. in that sense. But to me, yeah. the important part was... Yeah, just it's just reverence, giving reverence to whatever you're using. I think a lot of modern magicians don't follow the source, don't kind of consider where the history of things and where they're coming from and are results-based or too obsessed with just results, you know? I hear you. Um, it's I wouldn't say modern magicians. Um, well, first off, we're in the contemporary age, Keats. You know there's a difference between modern and contemporary. You know your furniture. But um, in addition, um, I would say modern white magicians struggle with that. I think that, um, or ones practicing white faiths or magical practices, but to be real with you, um, there are plenty of uh voodoo priests who are also santeros and there are there's there are people who balance it just fine you keep your stuff individually in the lane my my curanderismo is separate than my hoodoo is separate than my cutting craft is separate not that they never mix or blend or there's no like meat at the border yeah absolutely <laughs> not to make a border there are joke different pillars <laughs> that hold up this you know, yes, structure. but yeah. you absolutely can. Um, you know, I just, just, you know, those people, those little plates when you were little that had the, the, um, little pocket dividers for the food and your green beans and your chicken and your, oh, yeah. I think of it like that, TV but it's the same meal, but it's, but it's the same meal. Like you, you absolutely can. I'm not even suggesting that it can't mix a bit. I mean, you know, when you got older and your mashed potatoes get on, get on your green beans. So that's, I love, that's a great analogy. So. Also, in a sense, you know, the packaging is... is uh, yes. I am going to move because Lilifred wants to go out. Oh, you stalled. So, so, um, so you sorry, you're getting oh, to good. see my room a little bit. Yay. You know, I'll put you on a main ah. here. If you want to there show us around a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, give me a second. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So you can see these paintings behind me. These are mine. These are mine. Tarot readings. Um, hold on. Let me go ahead and can I flip this camera or I don't know. Yeah, That's my messy closet. 
Nice. How do I flip this? I don't know how to flip this. Hold on. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, and my hand's over the camera. Okay. <laughs> um, so just some things you're going to see. Oh, I don't... What happened? Oh, the video okay. left. Still oh. got you, though. You hold are. on, hold on. Do you have me? Yeah. Okay, so you're going to see my kimono wall. Kimono wall. And then there's my ancestral altar. Starts all the way over on the wall. You'll see Frida Kahlo, Joan of Arc, Maya Angelou, Auntie Maya. And you can see my actual altar right here. Um, thank you. These are my grandparents right here. Do I... How do I do this? Okay, there we go. You can see them. Um, above them is, are my other grandparents. I have one grandparent from Ireland. Right there, my grandma Betty. And then behind her, you see my abuelo. Uh, right there, he's from Mexico. And then my black grandparents as well. And then the altar goes all the way around. You have more Frida Kahlo. And you have the starter of the queer rights movement. And you have the black African. Oh, Sarah. And then, oh, and then I don't know if you can just, this is my little world. It's especially right now in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This I mean, is, that's why I was excited to see is, it. I also, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel privileged that you showed us the, uh, the altar because I always have a weird touch and go kind of perspective with other people I talk to about sharing, you know, their personal praxis or sharing their, their altar I've got work no or spell work, you know, I've got no um, inhibitions about that. If I, if I don't want to do something or don't want to share something, I won't. Um, but you know me, I'm pretty open and I'll be pretty open about where I believe your um, position is on it um and i've had people push back against that and be like no this and i'm like cool like let's talk about that right. and so because i have there's a reason i'm thinking this it's not just because so you know yeah, it's i wanted to ask if you thought you know revealing too much of spell work to the public you know in this day and age of social media you know instagramming you know and i've i've done this you know i've i've shared my altar you know mm -hmm. plenty of times especially when it comes to music and because it was the kind of the concept of giving thanks to it so i shared it as the cover you know mm -hmm. the last album but i always wonder what you know what yeah what you have to say about that if, is does it lose power by sharing more too loosely i don't think so i think um especially with brown magic queer magic um etc it's all about community so sharing is kind of a quintessential part. Um, my magic is my own. Uh, I don't really need to worry too much. I know I'm strong. I know I'm powerful. I know I can make shit happen. Uh, you know I can make shit happen. And so it's, you know, it depends on the caster in question. Uh, you know, someone could see my altar and try to copy it exactly, which P.S. I wouldn't care. I'd be like, oh, great, cool. That's, that's what weird. you need to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little weird, but I mean, whatever, dude. Like, yeah. um, but the fact is I would have very little problem with it because what would happen is eventually it would morph into their own thing. 
and they'd find other people that they admire. You know, for me, it's Frida Kahlo and, um, and Joan of Arc and my grandparents and stuff. But um, for someone else, you know, it might be James Baldwin, which actually I think I should get a picture of him. But, um, <laughs> but the point is, it's going to grow into your own thing. Um, so I don't have a problem with people, especially um, copying at first. You know, in Zephyr House, we have a dedicant program. Um, I was telling um, your partner, Mary, about it, um, where people under 25, they ain't got no money. So what we do is... Shit, not me i'm a queen but i'm um, just kidding <laughs> but um i wish being a queen was enough to actually make me rich that'd be great but um but no yeah exactly they don't have tons of money usually so we um require that they come to everything at zephyr house which actually is pretty rigorous but um they get everything for free and you know um if people have tarot decks that they don't like that they've just held on to they can donate them they go straight to the kids they go straight to the people um you know i find homes for them if if the kiddos don't want them i find often find sex workers that do um who also practice i or poc folks who don't have um you know, don't have funds or just poor white folks, you know, whatever. I don't know why I said it like that, but I did. And I was like, that's disrespectful. Um, but um, basically, uh, <laughs> like they're just in the bayou. Um, but um, basically, you know, um, those materials do not go to waste. So if anyone has any of those materials or slightly damaged or whatever, feel free to donate them because we will find homes for them. But in addition, you know, they have to work like a little community service, the um, dedicants, but they learn. And a lot of them at first copy me, like not me, but they copy me. They copy Terrence, they copy Rose at first. And eventually they kind of find, start to hit their own stride. Um, they definitely learn quickly. Um, you know, Jesse is, is one of our dedicants and uh, he has learned a lot from me, but he constantly is challenging me and challenging my ideas and, and, and being like, well, I don't, I don't resonate with this. So I'm going to do this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. To this point, kid. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's very, um, it's a very natural process. And I think the magic your magic is always a manifestation of you right. as a human being. Um, your magic and my magic blend really well together. We've done magic together many times, but it's super duper different. Both are radical forms of magic, but um, yours has a very different flavor than mine. Yeah. Um, and because we're different per people, but it comes from the same source, which is the creator. And we are the Instagram filters that then you know, yeah. add color. The TV dinner so. packaging. Yeah. We're the TV dinner packaging. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about your upcoming works with Microcosm, which oh, is yeah. so cool that you got to work with Microcosm. They've been such a brilliant source, I think, for any young punk kid out there, especially scene makers and and, yes. and whatsoever. I just actually read Joe Beale's book, uh, Beyond Music. Um, it's like mm -hmm. interviews with punk musicians or punks that are doing things to kind of change the world sustainability yeah. ethics 
really cool book. Yeah, I love being involved with them. I mean, I, at first, um, was talking to Llewellyn. I was talking to um, Troy Books, and I was talking to Microcosm. Mm -hmm. I liked that Microcosm was local. I like that I yeah, can go down the street. Like right next door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that I can go right over there and be like, hey, Joe, da 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 da. You know, um, I also love that they are so much about uplifting and magnifying minority voices. Um, and by minority, I don't just mean of skin, you know, skin uh, or, or, sorry, um, orientation or race. I really couldn't remember the name race isn't that so funny uh, but um but basically you know i love that they magnify those voices because in addition it's made me a better person um i've learned a ton about neurodivergent people um joe has written on that topic turns out we have a ton of neurodivergent witches in zephyr house and we're working on a class currently um all about neurodivergence and how they access magic versus neurotypical people um and it's being written by some of uh the zephyr hexen who are neurodivergent themselves so it's i wanted a for us by us approach to that curriculum i mean i prefer that with most of our things when i can get it um and i think that's so awesome that microcosm is talking about things and has been talking about things that other people are really kind of, I feel like afraid to broach or etc. Um, and, you know, I, I love that. I also was very suspicious going into the occult game. Um, to be honest, it, I didn't originally intend to write a book. I just kept looking for this book. I wanted to find a book that talked about intersectionality. I'm more than one race. I am, you know, sometimes I think I felt so alone throughout my life that I wanted to like have someone reach out to me through that book. And then I realized that I was not going to find that book. So I needed to write that book. Yeah. And so I, found out that, okay, you only have to write three chapters of a book to pitch it. So I did. Um, and originally the working title was Mixed Kid Magic. I think it's changed to, huh? thank you. I I think I've changed it actually. I think I'm good. No, it's going to be the brown and queer intersectional magical survival guide. Nice. Um, not for sure. It's a working title. I haven't gotten that fully approved yet. Blah, blah, blah. Lydia is going to be like, Ron, you can't just say, I know. So, you know, disclaimer, disclaimer. But uh, <laughs> that is um, so far what I think it will be titled. And I'm, you know, the goal of Mixed Kid Magic or whatever the fuck I'm calling it is, um, is to take someone from a 101 position to a 102 or is it 102, 201? I always get confused. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, to, to a 201 position where, you know, they really are, um, where they really do have a strong basis in enough things to where 
they can actually get her done. Um, I'm going to have a tarot section in the book. I'm going to be covering grounding. Of course, I'm going to be covering cleansing. Um, I'm going to have a section um, that has queer saints in it. They're um, queer saints and brown saints and brown gods because you hear so much about Caridwyn and um, about the Morgan and about Briad and about uh, the triple goddess and about Hecate. We know these characters and they're wonderful characters who I really like. Um, I mean, Aphrodite and me get along real well, but at the same time, um, you know, there's Azili Freyda as well as Aphrodite and there's Oshun and a brown kid should know this stuff and no one's not no one but not enough people are writing about this um and i've i've done a deep dive um not just into my own traditions um but it, it, i've been learning about um gods of the east and about ganesha and about um you know kalima and 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 it's so gorgeous and amazing and i just feel like I want to write all this down so that a brown kid can pick up that book, a brown queer kid or queer kid, like either or or both can pick up that book and be like, I'm centered in this book because even people who are writing on it are still not centering brown people um, and queer people like Explain my love spell section. Centering. Okay. Um, a great example is my love spell section. Mm hmm is going to be all queer love spells. Okay. And and then in parentheses, I will write the um, straight adjustment where, oh, if you're heterosexual, this is, <laughs> this is the adjustment for you. But I really feel it's important to sometimes just center queer people so that they don't have to always do makeshift shit. Um, that's one example. Or um, my new tarot deck coming out, that's... Yeah. You know, um, my new tarot deck, um, I was really um, getting annoyed because I have so many decks that I love, right? But especially at this point when I started illustrating it, I started for the same reason I started the book. I could not find a deck that had more than like one or two black people in it or brown people. And certainly not one where we were 70%, 80%, 90% of it, unless it was one like the African-American tarot, which is actually poorly titled because it's actually all African um, iconography. African-American is different than African, although they're connected. And um, there were ones like the ghetto tarot, um, which is great and cool. It's from found things in, I believe, Haiti. And it's amazing. I love that deck. However, and also, I wanted one where we just looked glamorous, where we looked like the kings and queens that we are. Um, and so I realized I kept looking for it and I couldn't find it. So I started illustrating it. And Can and so that's another example of, of that. Yeah, sure. Um, hold on. Yeah, I'll grab you've it. Sh you've shared them with me and they're beautiful. Hold on. Hold on. So I will, I'll send you a bunch of, or I'll not send you, show you a bunch. Um, so here's some of them in color. I'm going to show the color ones first. So here's an image of the world card. There's this beautiful trans woman. I wanted to dedicate it to the brown trans women um, who fought in Stonewall. And 
I meant to do a Stonewall kind of look, but it came out 70s. It also was kind of based off the goddess and American gods a little bit in that yeah, disco scene. Uh, and um, so that is the world card. Um, here we have the Empress card. This is definitely a black Aphrodite, um, you know, an interpre interpretation of this. But this one, it's so all about August. You know, I wanted that feeling of like, wheat and um you know and that the cicadas you know and and yeah and i wanted her to seem like she was barefoot under that gown um then we have actually when i haven't premiered yet this is the star i've just been working on it a little bit and she's worked running that red carpet like it's a river i don't know if you've ever been on a red carpet but like if you <laughs> yeah because if you go upstream on a red carpet you're fucked yeah like <laughs> like you can't so all downstream then we have um you know um this is a really personal card um this kind of this card talks essentially about my relationship with white people um not so much white people but white supremacy and my feelings under it um, and I realized I had never drawn myself ever in my life. I never tried to do a self-portrait. And so this, this one is actually a mixture of me and the god Chango and um, St. Sebastian, who was a queer saint. He was killed by his lover, the emperor, uh, which is kind of cool. And he's the patron saint of queer people. And I thought it was kind of cool. Traditionally, Chango is actually um, red, um, but I wanted to kind of do pink to kind of queer it a little bit, um, you know, uh, and I think it's kind of daring to, because my pronouns are they, them. I thought it was kind of daring to portray such a masculine, uh, you know, ah, figure um, as a they, them person. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, uh, that's your hanged man, isn't it? That's my hanged man. Yes, thank you. And then this one I finished yesterday. Um, this is Oshun um, as the strength card. And the cool thing about the strength card is it's all about inner strength. So I wanted to find a new way to show that versus like the lion. Although everyone keeps being like, I miss the lion. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> but um, um, you can see she has all the elements here. The chat said, where's the lion? Fuck you, Terrence. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you can see see she has all the elements here. And that's really important because it's showing that even though she's soft, she's gentle, she's beautiful, she's calm, she's motherly. I, I think of this image um, as a mom juggling all the things all at once. You know what I mean? Yeah. And with a great deal of grace. And, and I admire women so much because they do have that unique, beautiful ability. Um, and so... I wanted to show that in 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 that, and then um, yeah, here is, yeah. thank you. And the lastly, we have Ganesh as the Aerophant. Um and I made him deeply melanated intentionally. So, uh, you know, and there's going to be more deeply melanated cards. A lot of the ones I've done so far are a little light, just because they happen to be the ones that were lighter. But um, oh, I'm working on some wheelchair. Yes. He, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I forget. But yeah, he's differently abled. Um, there's several differently abled um, gods in throughout the whole deck. So, um, you know, Artemis is left handed and uh, in the deck and then uh, 
and she's the moon. And then also we have um, Isis as the high priestess and she, she has an amputated arm. Um, I, there's several different ways that I portrayed um, different, different ability. Um, and I'm going to probably have another wheelchair or two in there too. Uh, Cause I, I think it should be more than one. Um, and yeah. the trick has been how to portray it respectfully. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's the person's first terminology, you know? Yeah. Well, and how do I, how, how I also realized, like, I was like, how do I portray someone who's, um, deaf. How do I portray someone who's blind right. <laughs> in visual art? Like that's really, really hard. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, represent mental illness artistically. <laughs> you, know, um, years, you know, there's this artist called the Brooklyn Bruja on um, Instagram. I actually just commissioned a piece from them, and uh, I believe their pronouns are they them and. Um, pretty much um they do a really good job in their art of portraying that so i would i would take a look i would take a look there because yeah, uh, i actually saw a piece on dysphoria there. that they oh, yeah. that they just did and it i was like oh yeah that seems like it is what it would feel like i i assume that's you know but it it really i found it i i don't yeah it was just like whoa it really caught me so yeah. anyway Go ahead. <laughs> well, I wanted to quickly, um, I'm just now looking at the chat mainly, so I wanted to extend a welcome to anyone that has questions for Braun. Uh, put it in the chat. We'll try to address them. Um, in other words, while, you know, maybe those are generating, uh, we could talk about um, what Zephyr House has planned now that we're in quarantine. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you asked. Nothing. Um, nothing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, well, first off, we have this really exciting class by this caster named Tula. Tula is the bee's knees. Um, I really love her entire vibe. She she and I were planning a class before. Um, so what season are we in? Are we in Aries season still, I believe? Um, or, uh, yes. Yes. Um, so it's Aries season. She was like, okay, I could teach this class about Aries, literally during Aries season. And then, you know, during Pisces season, I'll do Pisces during Aquarius, I'll do Aquarius. And so I was like, that's a really cool idea. Um, one of another facet of Zephyr House is that we partner with um, a lot of the local shops. Um, we partner with Psychic Sister. We partner with Woo. We partner with Clary Sage. We partner with, um, oh gosh, Dance Macabre, um, which is one of my favorite locations. Uh, we partner just all over the city. Flutter. I mean, how can I? Flutter, Seagrape. Um, the only two that we don't partner with are the two that are deeply problematic, which is the Raven's Wing and Queen Mab, um, right. who both have a history of um uh, of abusing brown people specifically despite what they claim in their you know um both their literature and etc so yeah, but we, aside we, from them we, we have a long with and storied relationship with figuring those yeah. things out with those two yes we do <laughs> they they um wow just yeah. wow well, um uh, so, so much whiteness wanted to ask what zephyr means that's a great question um so philip 
Zephyr means, well, actually not means, it is a, is a god, actually. Um, they are a Greek god. Um, they fought Apollo for a beautiful boy. And so they were a queer god, which is what I loved. And out of Zephyrus, Zephyr House was born because it's spelled H-A-U-S. So. Awesome. So, um, but yeah. Well, you know, you got Microcosm coming up. Do you know, is there like a, a release date you guys are toying around with? Or is this still... Uh, for my book, it's going to be something like two years, which okay, cool. is 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 a second um the cards i hope we can come out before there are um zines planned mm -hmm. which is really exciting um i'm hoping that there'll be something called like confessions of a conjure queen or something like that like they're taking my personal um grimoires and they are publishing them as zines which is really cool um or at least sections of it or something like that so um I'm really, really excited to share that with everyone. Um, well, let's talk quickly cool. about, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, uh, you've been active as a tarot reader or tarot, as you would call it. Whichever. <laughs> Both <laughs> and, are right. And I wanted to, yeah, extend kind of the invitation for people to s seek you out. And maybe if you could talk a little bit about yeah, what those I mean, are like. Totally. I mean, it's interesting with my business, right? Because with my business, what I did is I found other businesses that I loved um, that were local. And I kind of would go there once a week and I would read. This is Woo, Downs Macabre, Cargo, and Flutter. Um, and, you know, people could come and see me during office hours. That was pretty much how I set it up. And I had a square and whatever, whatever. Um you know, I, I just kind of really made it a very IRL thing in real life. Um, I did the same thing with Zephyr House, which is awesome. It builds community really fast. It makes people feel seen and heard. And I love all those aspects. However, it is a disadvantage in our current situation. Right. So I um, am having an opportunity where I get to build the infrastructure of my company on the back end, meaning... I'm becoming a lot more um, social media conscious. I'm learning a ton. Um, I am now doing FaceTime tarot readings uh, with okay, people. Cool. And not only that, I'm running a sale on it to make it more accessible because I know a lot of money is a concern for people right now. So um, I am having a sale. Um, and I sent you the little meme for that. But um, it is a sliding scale of 60 to 100 for the hour, which is crazy like i've yeah. never run anything like that um it's 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 a very reasonable reading and then for um i have a shorter version of readings that i will do for oppressed peoples um that queer poc um lowing deeply low income um you know i have 20 dollar readings as well um and on all my readings i do ask that people tip if they're capable of doing it if not that's totally cool. But, um, you know, the cool thing is that also it allows me to give back to the community when people do book a reading with me. Because let's be real, um, a lot of my money goes into Zephyr House. A lot of my money goes in back into um, supporting. So you get to support a Black, queer, um, Latin 
Latinx business uh, person. And so that's also an aspect of, of reading with me. But I do two kinds of cards. I do tarot. And then I do what are, what I call ancestor cards. Um, and that's the act of reading with playing card decks that um, in the tradition that Black people have been doing, because we used to have to obscure our forms of divination underneath games of chance. Otherwise, we'd be persecuted. Right. So um, I learned that from my grams, and, and I, uh, I do both forms, and I mix them together. Very cool. So... Yeah, well, I love that, and it's a, yeah, it's like cardomancy, in a way. D definitely, yeah. De I mean, it's all cardomancy, right? It's, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. But different the forms. Fifty-two card deck, you know. Yes. Why? Yes. So, what is that delineation? What What do you think that you kind of tether more with when using, say, fifty-two card deck or tarot? Is it just kind of? Um. Well, here's how I think of it with tarot. I'm using a very old form of divination. They both are actually playing cards and, and tarot. Um, there's several traditions that read with playing cards. There's the Roma tradition. Um, there is the Creole tradition. Um, you'll see it in Brujeria a lot. Um, but but and they all have different definitions. And there's some European traditions too, like some uh, French, etc. And the Lenormand kind of came out of it. So um, or. I can't remember which was which was first, chicken, egg, whatever. The point is, um, you know, this has been a thing for quite some time. But with mine, I actually put my blood on the cards there, tethered to the ancestors when it comes to the playing card decks. So I am doing hoodoo. I am doing old school hoodoo. And the answers are coming from the ancestors. They, they have a very different voice. It, they're very direct. Um, they're, they're not as complex as the um, tarot. And it's not unusual for me to kind of get some messages. And it's not Brutal unusual too. for me to... What was that? Brutal, too. Like, <laughs> Are, no fucks I, given. I, yeah. No fucks given. Yeah, I mean, with, with love. But I, I always say they sound like a black grandma who just doesn't have all the time because that's who's talking is is my ancestors and so a lot of times they're like girl you know you should have left that man mm -hmm. you know um versus the tarot you know um with the tarot i'm using only the majors when i do it um and i know how to use a full deck but i don't prefer to um and so i'm getting themes from it so i'm getting a lot of you know uh what what's happening underneath the surface of that so one of the cards uh, meaning the ancestor cards are very grounded and then you have and very earthy and then you have the tro which is a little bit elevated a little bit more high-minded um and that's pulling from earth magic and it's right. a very different it's a it's the two blend beautifully but at the same time it's, it's a different kind of jam it's got a long they both have long and storied currents, but I think there's something academically limiting sometimes to Tarot. Yeah, um, I guess. I, yeah. You know, it's so funny. My favorite thing to do with Tarot, and I tell people to do this, read three or four different books on Tarot. Mm -hmm. Write down the notes of um, what each person says. You're going to get four different definitions. And some of them are going to be binary. Some of them are not going to be binary. Um, and then what you need to do is you need to find the similarities between the two or between the four and then, um, 
then in, then from there your intuition takes off like it's 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 an intense study right now i'm studying um holistic tarot by benabel wen i don't love her definitions of a lot of the tarot um but i really like benabel's um thorough approach and a lot of other things that she has to say and um and I think even when I don't love a definition, it's okay because some of them have become clearer over time. And I'm like, oh, that's what she meant. Okay, cool. So it's not like, you know, when you're a tarot reader, you don't, just because you've been reading since you were five, that doesn't mean that you stop learning, that you stop um, elevating yourself. It means you're constantly doing that. And um, just like hopefully a doctor seeking for their skills. I, I think they have to brush up on their skills or something perennial like that. Students. Yeah. Yeah. Perennial um, students. There's something you said in the beginning that I use too much of it, you know, and you told me once like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Very simply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you had it's... a good explanation for it and uh, it, it kind of escapes me now, but it, it had yeah. something to do with like, where do you think it comes from? Like, yeah. I mean, uh, look, we all come from source. We all come right. from the creator. Um, and so your power comes from the creator itself. Um, in ATRs, African traditional religions, we call um, the power Ashe. Uh, but prana, chi, there's a million words for it. Um, and basically, what you want to, and, and some of us are born with more than others. That's just the way it is. Some of us are born natural athletes. Some of us are not. Some of us are so focused on becoming great athletes that we do, despite not having a natural affinity. So there's there's all kinds of different levels. So if you just think of, okay, I've got this much ashe, I've got this much power. Now, what am I trying to do? <laughs> there are There's times where I am reading. I remember um, it's not uncommon for me to do 12 hours of reading tarot. That is not uncommon because uh, sometimes I will go from reading at Flutter to, I don't know, advice booth uh, bar and going and literally reading tarot, reading tarot, reading tarot. People are always asking me, how do I do that? Well, there's several tricks. Number one, um, if you have quartz crystals, they can magnify your power so that you're, think of it like, again, an ant, like a sunbeam in the ant. The quartz crystal is the magnifying glass. Um, so it's taking a little bit of power and magnifying it. So that's one thing. The second thing is endurance, like just building your way up, building your, you know, the more magic you, you practice, it's just like any muscle. But if you overdo it, you will burn yourself out. You can make yourself sick. I've put myself in the hospital before yep. um, from doing too much. After one of our workings, I didn't ground well enough, and it was a nine-day flu. Well, well, I remember you were not used to ancestral power flowing right. through you either. Like I remember, I think it was our first ritual together, and I didn't think of anything of it. I didn't think to say anything to you because I figured, oh, he's got, he's got it. I, I thought it was so rudimentary. I'm sure, sorry. Yeah. No, no, but absolutely. But it ended up yeah, making you ill. airhead, famously. So. Well, yeah. it, we all can. And and um, you were not used to channeling my ancestors' powers. Right. Uh, like, like, and so we're um, doing sigils. 
working with angels, working with demons. I mean, whichever um, way it is, the fact of the matter is people are working with spirits because a lot of times you don't want to use your own energy to the point where it starts literally sapping your life energy because it's not yeah. separate. It's not a separate reservoir. So you, just like um, if they had a dam, they don't want to get below a certain point during a drought, you know what I mean? Or, and not that there is a drought, but you know, kind of think of it like that. Um, you, you want to use as little of your own energy as possible. You're inevitably going to use some of it, but you know, it's, it's especially the bigger the working. And if you're doing it professionally and which is not the goal, but for me or at a professional level, shall we say, um, you may, or, or professionally, you may have several people coming to you. I have had five or six spells simultaneously going on and they will pull from your energy. So you need to make sure that A, you're replenishing, B, you're grounding, C, you're cleansing and warding. You're, you're doing your due diligence. Um, uh, you know, magical sanitation, necessary, necessary yeah. requirement. Um, so there's husbanding the energy that we are given and that we have access to or that we are granted is really what we're studying because we are innately made of this energy everything around it we're innately connected husbanding it learning to be wise with it learning to be reverent with it that's actually the real test that we're undergoing um as mortals yeah so well braun you have been such an invaluable friend uh teacher uh practitioner to me you've consistently given me preternatural experiences uh, through all of this and learning all of this that are so beneficial to just my entire way of thinking as far as someone that is a perennial student, you know, of all this. So thank you so much and thank you for chatting with me. Um, everyone yeah. in the uh, chat, please yeah. follow Braun. All of the social media links and oh. everything will be in the description. And then, yeah, what yeah. were you going to say, Braun? Oh, and I was going to say, you know, if anyone wants a reading, please, you know, hit me up. Uh, and I don't know, check us out at Zephyr House. Check out Microcosm Publishing, all those things. So, yeah. yeah. This has been beautiful. And once again, there's an infographic and everything linked in the description. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for showing up. Uh, Charles Williamson, Amanda Pomander, Una, Philip Blair, Joshua Proto. Rose, that's Rue Rose. Magic, um, Terrence, uh, it was just just been fascinating. So, uh, not fa okay. I mean, yes, you guys in the chat have been fascinating, but it's been great. To have I I have not been able to see what they've been saying. So, like, I can only imagine what I'm going to hear it later. <laughs> so the live chat will still be available once the video is over. But like with every uh, episode, I will release an article and the audio version as well and that will be available wherever pods are casted whether it be itunes or wherever so that'll be out next week cool thank you guys for tuning in bron i love you stay safe in portland i'll try <laughs> and take care y'all haunt on see y'all later